Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. All right. I am so excited, and I got to get right into it, to introduce my guest today. Um, I can't wait to dive into the topics that we're about to talk about. Uh, this is the Marketing Leader Series, and boy, do I have a badass marketing leader um, we're going to learn from here today, often referred to as the Marketing Swiss Army Knife. She's also <laughs> a fellow marketing automation practitioner, Infusionsoft partner, um, writer, developer, designer, mentor, <laughs> currently the CMO of Gate39 Media, Sarah McNabb. How are you? I'm great, Casey. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no, your introduction is just so much to talk about. <laughs> and and in the theme for today is that marketing leaders series, you know, really interviewing marketing leaders, seeing what's out there, talking about strategy, smashing myths, and well, let's just get right to it. So here is Thor's hammer. Um, and just go ahead and take that. It's heavy. Yeah. Oh yeah. It smashes things great. So go ahead and smash for me some like bogus strategy or out there or maybe it's just some misconceptions that are out there and in the in the office or in marketing teams out in the out in the wild absolutely i think it's a little bit unconventional but yeah. the myth that i would like to smash today is the use of profanity being an unprofessional way to speak at work um wow. I actually think that using profanity selectively at work can establish comfort with others and it's you're speaking from a place of honesty and you know we're not in the 1950s anymore we have come to recognize that it's okay to be yourselves at work um, I think this can help create connection with your own staff um, it also shows that you're kind of emotionally engaged to the topic and that you care about the topics and the subjects and your clients um, clearly I wouldn't you know curse or swear around clients or go at anyone in an aggressive manner using profanity but um, to be able to to place emphasis and use it um, where needed can can get people's attention more and I work in a very male-dominated industry the financial industry is okay. is ex incredibly male-dominant okay. and so as a woman coming in and trying to get attention, you know, prove my place and, um, but still be effective and in my role, I've found that using profanity can get attention, can allow me to be taken more seriously in several cases, you know, um, to selectively drive home certain points that I'd like to make. I think the myth that men are more by nature prone to use more coarse language it's more expected from them um and that when women use it they're perceived as being irrational or overly emotional i think that's bullshit yeah yeah i think it's cool <laughs> i think it's, you know and, and back to your earlier point about communicating uh as long as you're being authentic you know that was the word that came to my mind is and i think when we aren't swearing when one's necessary maybe we're, we're not being authentic in that regard. At the same time, you wouldn't just want to drop a whole bunch of F-bombs for no reason. Right, 
because right. they just sound weird. But if you're being authentic and something is cool as shit and you just want to go ahead and throw it out there, like why not? Right. Right. It's, it's, you know, the underline of that word that you want to really get across. I think it's okay to express yourself that way. Sure. And in business, I mean, it's becoming more and more acceptable um, in the financial industry and, and having worked around traders and brokers for gosh, at this point, it's been like 16 years. That's just, that's just everyday language. And so you learn to speak it and it's, you know, I think it's an app. I think it's apropos for women to, to use that within a male dominated industry, particularly in order to be brought up to the level of I'm speaking the same language you are. Right. And I, I belong here. You, interesting. I, I'd love to unpack that and separate. It's almost like I, the, the first part is just using the language in general. And then the second part is, <clears throat> it, and I love to get your, your experience in that, in that male dominated world, you know, female, then using the language. So just language in general a lot of people would say that's unprofessional. And I know you said not with clients. Is there a certain threshold or certain lines you're seeing? Well, I've, I've worked with clients who, who will use profanity in the course yeah. of describing what it is that they want to get across. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of have to follow lead and, and reciprocate where it's necessary in terms of language to be able to get that person to associate you as somebody who understands what, what you're saying coming right. from a place of honesty, right. um, acknowledging that, yes, you understand that this particular thing is very important to them. Therefore they're emphasizing certain things. Um, you know, it's again, really depends on the situation yeah, and the person and the client and, you know, age can be a factor and just, you know, um, really depends on the situation. So you really, if you can read the room, Mm-hmm. If you can read the client, if you can read your staff, right, you will be able to um, use language in a way that helps make more connections. Right. Like if the culture yeah. around you is that, then there's no right. reason you shouldn't feel free to be yourself too. Right. And, yeah. and you know, especially being women, you know, that ladylike behavior, oh, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't want to come across as being a doormat. Yeah. So sometimes you have to push back. That involves using language and, uh, yeah, make it known that you, you have a place at the table and you belong there. Totally. Is you, so is your office sounds fun. Are you just, <laughs> you just walk around, just, you know, it's like a bunch of sailors. It really, some, day, <laughs> some days are like that. Um, you know, uh, we have in our office, we have teams of graphic designers yeah. and, uh, website developers and, uh, work with writers and CRM experts, and then of course my CEO. And you know, everybody's got their days where, you know, they just they need to vent a little bit. Yeah. So that's where also that language comes into play, and in, in within the culture of our, right. of our firm and our agency. So it does help relieve stress, as well as get points across. Totally. And, you know, and I think we chatted even, you know, we talked earlier and said, Hey, this podcast, you know, just be you, you know, if you, mm -hmm. if you, you want to swear, go for it. If there's, if there's a certain thing and I, and I know you were like, Oh, cool. And it's almost like it changed the dynamic a little bit because, you know, there's that, there's that polished, you know, almost unreal factor that can happen in media or, you know, even in some podcasts where it's so polished that, you know, it's edited down to the second and nope, you can't, you can't really say what you really want to say, you know? 
Right. And when it comes to marketing, a lot of times people perceive marketing as being very plastic and very surfacy and fake. Um, and so the people behind the scenes, if they're um, restrained to having to to use fake plastic surfacy, you know, proper language all the time in the business, I I just don't see that as like you use the word authentic. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, there's there's a lot of cranking and grinding behind the scenes. It's stressful. You know, the the pretty end product that comes out isn't always uh, done with ease, and so everybody behind the scenes, I think, has earned the right to be uh, authentic in their language, honest in their language, to be who they are, to to create more of an authentic. Um, advertisement or piece of marketing or piece of content. Uh, it's super important these days to have an authentic story to tell. And if right. it comes from an honest place, which starts in either your agency or your marketing department, I mean, it's, it's super important. Kind of is all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I, and I was thinking the question of even in your office, you know, is there a particular group you mentioned developers over here and who, who's, who swears the most or who feels free to do that the most? Um, I would say probably me. Yeah, okay. Um, You're leading. You know, Leadership, right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, overseeing the different pain points from each department. Um, when some th Sometimes when things don't come together, um, you know, that creates that spark of stress. And you would probably hear me, you know, say those words more or less um, several times a day, uh, especially being somebody who's also a point person for client contact and account yeah. management. Uh, if I get, if I get a request that's somewhat, um, you know, throws a wrench into our daily plans and our workflow, right. we're going to, we're going to handle it, but it's not going to come without me saying, you know, you know, shit or, you know, right. Man. It's not even at someone. It's yeah, just it's not. The situation calls for it, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's a difference there. And I think sometimes we lob all that together, you know, like, oh, well, that must be offensive. To, it's not even going at anyone. It's just right. we're declaring it's the situation, <laughs> you know. Exactly. I'm yeah. standing at the top of my hill with my, my battle sword, and that's what yes. I'm shouting. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, the real language um, in, in that – and I was asking earlier, because in my, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, oftentimes, even the guests on the show, I tell everybody you can swear because, aka, be authentic. Um, and sales, <laughs> our, our sales guests, um, I remember John Barrows, uh, cool guy. I don't know if you, do you know John? I don't know John, no. He's a sales trainer. He even sales, uh, trains Salesforce on how to do sales. And on our prep call, he, he swore more than I think we've had swears on all the episodes combined on the prep call but then he got so into it on the show he just it, it wasn't wasn't there um for the the language but it, it's almost like you know is it because there's a lot of men in sales or is it just because that particular role is given more permission to be real or i don't know i just want to throw that out you yeah have, have you seen sales be more open in that way and i have i've actually yeah. i've worked with several different sales teams in different marketing capacities and um, they tend to, to have less of a filter. Okay. Yeah. And well, particularly in my industry in financial finance, uh, oh, okay. finance and financial technology um, software, they tend to just 
be a little bit more abrasive on the abrasive side and more blunt and I understand that they have a lot of other people to compete with out there and so they have to establish relationships with potential clients who they may become more buddy buddy with right. or, or have that more like let's go for a drink let's be you know let's be real with each other and so therefore they are used to using that kind of language in their everyday um, you know how they how they move about their their role and so with marketing and sales I mean you know marketing and sales tend to be tend to be pretty closely close-knit sometimes sure. frenemies if you will yeah <laughs> unfortunately frenemies I was gonna say close yeah. but not too close sometimes right yeah right. then you know it just rubs off or are you would hope it you know, I almost like I would like it too because I think uh, marketing could learn something from sales in that regard and I think you mentioned this they're building relationship they're building rapport mm -hmm. and in order to do that it's almost like their gut feeling is to tell them to use language that's real I send people messages some of my partners and some sales friends and whatnot and I say dude in the email okay mm -hmm. and and maybe I'm from the 90s or something but I'm just being me and people just know like Casey says weird things but it's not like you know hello you know, friend, it's just like, dude, what's up, you know, and I'm just trying to build rapport. And as I think about that, you know, how much could marketing benefit? And you mentioned that plastic marketing. Yeah, like, that's, that's an amazing idea. That thought of like, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, all the just the, so fake and everything, it comes across so polished. But sometimes the most polished email campaign gets crushed by a simple text email campaign you know, that's, that's more real. Right. Right. Or marketing emails that you receive that are so conversational in nature that you yeah. almost think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hyper-personalized with your name. Um, you know, perhaps it uh, mentions something that, uh, you know, I saw that you were interested in this, but I have this other thing for you, but how it's, brought to your table in the tone in which it's presented to you, if it's very conversational, if it's in the tone of, um, you know, a friend or just a conversation, you're going to be more apt to open up and to, to actually read it, I think, as opposed yeah. to, dear sir or madam, you know, thank you for your business as of late. So mm -hmm. it's, it's something that definitely could benefit uh, marketing in terms of bringing that language into um, text communications, email communications, uh, even I've noticed chat bots at the bottom of, you oh, know, some, yeah. some software, yeah. you know, picks up and uses language very, in a very human conversational way when, when you're, okay. you think you're on with somebody who's a human and that language has to be casual enough to, to, to be able to communicate with the person, but they think they're talking to a person when it's really AI. Right, right. Done right. That done right. be the feeling. Right. As opposed to what would you like today? You know, exactly. it's like, ah, oh, geez, it's not even real. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. I mentioned the chatbots. Have you heard of Drift? I've heard of it, but I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah, you should check it out. D-R-I-F-T, taking the internet by storm. They're owning the emoticon with a lightning bolt. That's kind of like their logo. Okay. Um, by the way, I am the fist. <laughs> it's almost like you gotta like grab your your emoticon that you own. Okay. Uh, and but drift, really interesting. Uh, Dave, um, I think it's Gearhart is his last name. Um, but he is their their head of uh, marketing, and they were over at HubSpot, and they they, they left that, and they formed Drift. They do chat. Um, 
but they really are championing that conversational marketing. And the reason I mentioned Dave is because he's on LinkedIn almost daily and they're doing a video from the office and he's sort of just sharing. It's not polished. There's no intro outro. He's doing a record and he's being real. And, he, and you just, you see him on LinkedIn, just being real, throwing out something, a tidbit, having an interview. And those guys have done a real jo good job of doing that. Even their conferences have speakers you wouldn't even think about hearing from. I think um, they had the uh, VP of marketing, um, this amazing woman who ran marketing for like, like Def Jam records kind of thing. Wow. And, and cool. I was like, what am I going to learn from her? I, I, like rap, but no, I learned so much. And so, but they exposed us to that and they, their communication is so real and, and, and unpolished at times, but I think that gets back to you. They're, they're, they're not plastic at all, you know? And so whether their language is real or their presentation, you know, they're very authentic. And I think that also goes into, you know, everybody these days has to cut through that noise to find out what's important. And you're so used to being sold to. You're so right. used to having things be thrown in your face in such a way that you know you're being sold to. Well, when you have those authentic videos that, you know, scrap the bullshit of the, the intro and the outro and go right. right to it, almost like like a how-to on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, like very educational. I mean, you, on the underlying, you're still being sold to in a way, but you're being sure. educated first. Right. And it's being brought to you like, you know what? Here's this thing, man. It's going to help your life. Check it out. Right. You know, being very straightforward, maybe using that casual language, but cutting out, you know, the flashy graphics coming in, the, you know, on sale for this or that. Go straight to it. Cut to the chase. People's yep. time is very important and people's attention spans these days are very short. So it kind of hits upon you know, accomplishing several goals when you can cut right to the chase, get to a how-to video, use casual language, boom, in and out, make an impression. Right. right. I hate when how-to videos have intros. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, 30% of this video is going to be skipped. Right. By, you know, <laughs> like, it's only a two-minute video. You don't need your stupid intro. Um, yeah, I don't Do you know Justin Barish? Have you met him? I haven't met him. Okay, so he was on a, I ch we chatted a couple, a couple days ago. I would love to introduce you to him. He's also in the financial world, and um, we were talking about content, and he put a bunch of his content out there in front of the, in front of the form, you know, and, but he was just like, look, it's so good, it's so helpful, and they actually, they, it was wildly successful because it was actually helpful, you know, and I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in, ooh, this little content and great title is going to trick you into not only clicking but filling out this form but when you get to it it's actually going to be junk you know but to actually be uh, helpful enough to just and you know just get that content to them to try to help them i think it's really cool yeah and content you know you have you do have to provide value yeah it can't be just another you know me too marketing um bit you right. have to provide something that's actually a value and something that's unique and provide a unique perspective um, even things that are short form um, like a give to get of for example like a you know 2019 checklist of the yeah. you know for identifying you know top marketing trends or, or things like that where it's it's a short checklist or guideline or a punchy pithy um, title something that you can't live without, but something that's also unique and has a unique spin and perspective. You know, everybody can put out the same 
the same features guide. But unless you provide mm. something a little bit different, like here's a guide to exotic features or, um, you know, different uh, black swan scenarios in the financial markets, mm. something that's that could either, you know, tickle upon your fears or, um, you know, just pique your interest in, in terms of an intriguing title, even though it's this kind of the same information that can, that's used over and over. Um, it's really how you package it. And you don't have to package it long form. You can be, it can be, you know, put into something that's more infographic, more, more tightly, tightly edited down and just, uh, you know, presented packaged beautifully. Right. Huh. I love that. Just the idea of not just your standard content future. Here's your, you know, what does the future of 2019 2020 look like it's like the exotic future or the black swan what what could go wrong you know it's just kind of different you know it's like you're right there's you're trying to get that you're trying you're trying to cut through the noise is what you said earlier i love that yeah so noisy there's so much plastic marketing out there so being authentic but also being interesting right you know, helpful and entertaining at the same time right and you know getting your story across through these these pieces of content and through these offerings, you know, of your of your firm, you know, what how your tone is going to come across, your value. Right. And it's not it's not necessarily, you know, telling the entire story, but it, the right story. Right. Now, I got a question. I'm dying to ask you this. I know we chat a little bit about this. The idea of B two B and B two C, and um, you know, we work with a lot of B2B companies, Treasure Impact, some B2C as well. Um, but I think you've got a different take on it. So, you know, what, what's your thought? Is, is, it, is there ever a good time to have those differentiators or should we throw them out? Well, I think when it, when it comes to marketing and when it comes to a marketing approach, and like I mentioned to you, um, you know, before our call, a colleague in my industry had said something that makes a little bit more sense to me as the more I think about it. And that is that the idea of B2B and B2C marketing is relatively archaic because in the end, mm. you're speaking to a human being, period. Um, our agency is a B2B agency as well, but we understand that at the end of every message that somebody is reading, it's a person reading it. A decision maker is looking at it. Um, you still have to convey the same benefits um, in, in certain ways. Um, you're not speaking to a company. You're speaking to a decision maker, and that is a person. Um, you know, this, this industry is, is one where when we try and help clients appeal to investors and people who are looking to give up assets for, for somebody else to manage. Um, when it comes down to it, that investor needs to be able to have trust in that establishment. They're right. not going to trust. They're not going to trust the establishment. They're going to trust their money manager. They're going to trust an actual human being. And so, I think just the underlying, the underlying flow between B two B and B two C is there's always there's always people involved. And so, I think. Yes, there's a place for, for communication and behind the scene of, of how you approach B2B and B2C, but in the end, 
you really are just, you're speaking to another human being mm-hmm. and it's how you're going to speak to them. You know, when you mentioned the idea of trust and you, you can trust companies, but when I thought about it, I was like, eh, sort of, but you trust people so much more. Agreed. You, yeah. You don't, I mean. Like what's a, what's a company I trust? Yeah. I'd say Apple, but then every now and then they do something stupid. So. Right. Right. <laughs> Right. There's always, you know, the people are the ones working, working the mechanisms behind the scenes. So Definitely not Google. I don't know. They're building no. robots to take us over for sure. I mean, it's, and then of course that leads into the question of do people trust brands? You know, how, how do they trust brands and what, what factors go into that? You know, right. what makes a brand trustworthy? Well, it's all the people behind the scenes that, that make that brand trustworthy. It's right. The brand itself is, is really just a facade it's it's just a it's a piece of plastic that's a good point yeah like that's a good point i and i think um do i trust the the iphone brand created from apple i i have and then every you know they you know minus steve jobs where you know he'll like cancel a whole run of something because right that like you one of the things that drives me crazy is uh do you have an iphone or you i do Okay. Yeah, I have an iPhone. Which one do you have? Mm. Do you know what number? I think it's the 5S. So, oh, I had a 5S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good good one. Really good one. Eventually, I had to get an 8. And I don't know if you can see this, but the camera, it comes out a little bit. Oh, it does. Holding yep. it up to the monitor. Every, everyone listening is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Go on YouTube, people. So, um, you know, the 5, and I think yours, 5S, um, doesn't, right? It's flat. Mm-hmm. It's flat. And I, do you have a case on it? I do. Okay. I, I like a crazy man, like never had a case on mine because I was like, well, if this phone was intended to have a case on it, Steve Jobs would have created it with one, you know? And it's like, he doesn't have one. And it's almost like there's no stylus because he created it without one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I carried it like that. I almost never dropped it. And even if I did, it'd get some dings here and there. Totally fine. Got the eight with it, the little camera that's beveled out it's 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 more and um it's funny i met this um really cool person at dreamforce and now she's part of the company but um she was saying something like oh excited and she moved her hands up and i was holding my phone and it like brand new iphone 8 at dreamforce flies up in the air hits the ground it shatters the the lens in half the camera lens oh my goodness and i've dropped my five millions of times but not drop this and i thought you know what steve would not have let this thing jut out like that he'd be like why does it come out like that why don't why isn't it flush you know and and people are like well steve you kind of need like i don't care shut up go fix it right and then they would they would have and it would be fine like the five but no 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 someone talked someone into it and no one was there saying like no uh, right that person that i trusted right and so and so now it has this thing and now now i have a case and because i know that if i one drop, I could shatter the stupid little circle glass on there. <laughs> right, right. Crazy. Yep, all leads back to a person. All leads it back does. to a person. It does. So, like, I've even heard, like, B to H, you know, B to human before. And and I wonder about even, like, terms we use. You know, we refer to people as leads or as, mm-hmm. as you know, this MQL. It's like 14 <laughs> MQLs. It's actually 14 human beings underneath. Right. You know, if you click on them, you'll see their names on your software. You know, we can kind of get 
we can forget with that number in front of us that it's actually a person. It's true. I mean, establishing those buyer personas within your system can start to help, but yeah, right. I agree. I think some of the terminology is very clinical when it comes to dealing with humans. Yeah. Even like the idea of a funnel dealing with humans, you know, uh, it, it, have you ever seen that? There's like an infographic where it shows like what everyone thinks a marketing path looks like. Oh, this content, this content <laughs> over to sales one. And then it's like what it really looks like. And it's this crazy it's scribble. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy scribble map. And you know, oh, I content, late stage content, early stage content. I waited for seven months, another content, talk to someone, bought. you know, it makes no sense. It's true. It's, it's a huge scribble. It's a big network, spider web network, um, and is not as streamlined or pretty as, as people think it is. Agreed. Um, you mentioned something. You said the funnel. Now, yeah. I'm kind of of the mind, and we are a HubSpot agency, but it makes more sense, I think, to maybe acknowledge that that marketing funnel, that shape has sort of shifted. Okay. You know, with a funnel, it ends. It essentially ends from either top to bottom or left to right. Yeah. But if it were a more of a wheel or a flywheel, mm-hmm. you could continue on and use that marketing continuum to continue to get your your customers to participate in your growth. You know, investing as much marketing into into something where you know it's going to continue that momentum. You know, the energy right. you put into it is what you get out of it. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting evolution how you know, marketing continues to evolve, but like the idea, that whole theory of, uh, the sales funnel, mm-hmm. I think it's shifting, shifted a little bit. What do you think? I was just going to ask you if you think it's OG having a funnel. I, Cause I know, you know, guys like Sangram yeah. are flipping it, you know, mm-hmm. is, is it enough to flip it or do we need a, a circle, you know, or a different shape or something? You know, I think if you have a shape that's rooted in momentum that mm. you can keep going, because you, you know, you still, once you get somebody as a customer, you still have to keep providing value and you still have to keep delighting them and providing education and, and really keeping their eyes focused towards you because there's so many other competitors, competitors out there that they could easily be swayed to leave you for. And so, um, it's an ongoing, ongoing marketing, I think, is, is essential in retaining customers. You can't just assume that somebody's going to stay with you once they sign up or open an account. True. You know, you have to continue to, you know, I use that word delight, to continue to provide value. And I think that is kind of a circular um, shape. Sure, sure. It, I think stages make sense, but they don't have mm-hmm. to be in a, in a car oil funnel (laughs) right or sieve with things leaking out the side and Mm -hmm. um, you're right that overall shape may be not the thing we want to be able to track progression um but to your point exactly end when you hand it to sales certainly doesn't end when you hand it to sales and it doesn't end when sales closes it now maybe some people are like well that's somebody else's job that's like customer service or that's Mm -hmm. but you know if marketing is if you're the voice of the company then you're right you need to keep that message going and now it's onboarding, you know, use your automation. Now, now the drip campaign is an onboarding drip campaign. Truly, truly. Yeah. When, um, you know, my firm doesn't put a lot of money into online advertising. We don't do media buys 
because we are in a relatively small industry, financial industry here in Chicago, um, in, in you know, New York, we get most of our business from word of mouth from other clients. And so wow. to have those clients actually become advocates and evangelize for us and participate in our company growth, I mean, we see that very um, in a very concentrated way, being a, a boutique agency, <clears throat> excuse me, and working with a lot of the same types of companies throughout the industry, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And so that especially, that keeping that momentum going with maintaining quality work, keeping a good reputation, um, it's just going to continue to flow through and make through, make our customers participate in our ongoing growth. And so that's where I relate to that, that flywheel concept. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and I think just as we, we don't want to trick people into clicking and then getting right. or trick people to fill out the form and get nothing. We don't want to trick people to get on the phone and get nothing or trick people into buying and getting nothing. So it's like, right. you got to be with it the whole way through. It's not like, aha, I got you past that threshold. Peace. See you later. <laughs> right. No, I'm out. Right. Can't leave them hanging. Right. Right. Do you have a, you know, like a go-to when you think of like all these different strategies out there for like for marketing, do you have like a go-to overall strategy of how you approach marketing in general? Um, I think, you know, getting back to that basic using that like mnemonic device of when you set, when you set marketing goals, um, you know, that smart, um, you know, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant and time-based. I think that's a good way to, to approach setting any type of marketing goals. Um, you know, having something specific in mind, something that's actually attainable, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to be able to establish, you know, concrete criteria for measuring. Um, and then of course, creating like a framework for um, how, a framework in which to measure that right. particular goal. So I think that is kind of the overall way I would approach the majority of our marketing projects. Um, the goals make sense. You got to yeah. have a goal before you get cranking. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. You know, we're not doing this for fun. Right. It's busy work at that point, right? <laughs> it you're is just, busy work. Yeah. You're spinning your cycles. You're, That's right. and, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there um, that just activity based, you know, mm -hmm. well, I sent a, I sent a hundred thousand emails out. How did they do? I have no idea. All I had to do was send them out. Yep. And then it goes into the ethos and you never hear from it again. It's, it's in a situation where, um, you know, after establishing those goals and creating the plan and being able to measure it and stuff at the end of it, again, going back to the whole, you know, flywheel concept, we yeah. have to, you have to constantly iterate and optimize on what you've done. If yeah. you can't, if you can't pinpoint the weaknesses in your plan, um, or at least A-B tests to see which one's going to work out better. You know, what's the point? You have right. to con continually level up on, on your activities and how you approach marketing. Absolutely. You mentioned SMART goals. You, you mind just going through the, the different letters? Because I think that's a great reminder for sure. everyone. So it's, the new, it's a mnemonic device, yep. um, SMART. So the first one is specific s is for specific so a specific goal has a better chance of being achieved than a general goal right yeah. i think everybody can 
can agree with that. Yeah. You know, and like for an example, uh, instead of having a general goal be like establish our firm as a thought leader. Um, <laughs> right. What is that even? Yeah. Right. A more specific goal would be, hey, let's contribute six trending articles on futures market commentary in, you know, oil markets in different publications in Q1. Mm-hmm. Those are very specific things. Um, much more attainable because it's much more um, visible. Mm-hmm. It's You can wrap your head around it instead of just, you know, saying let's become a thought leader. It's, it's just too vague. The second one, measurable. Um, you have to have the ability to establish concrete criteria mm. for measuring progress in the attainment of each goal. So, you know, setting baseline, you know, metrics, right. um, starting somewhere and being able to, to track those numbers. Of course, uh, lots of marketing automation systems are, are really helpful in that yeah, department. Right. Right? In that department, yeah. And so achievable is your A, right? It's gotta be, it's gotta be realistic. It's gotta be something that's, challenging but still attainable i mean you're setting yourself up for failure if you think you're gonna hey i'd like to be on the forbes list myself let's have that as a goal for this year well (laughs) that's not that's not realistic right you know you you gotta you gotta approach something with a degree of of realism right uh the r is relevant Mm-hmm. And while, you know, having a goal matters to you, the goal of, let's say, your content marketing strategy has to be relevant to your audience. Right. It has to be relevant to your audience. It's got to appeal to them, provide value to them. You're doing this for them. And then the T is more of, <clears throat> excuse me, time-based. Mm, and right. that's, that's the framework that um, every goal needs a frame of time and a deadline to work within. Yes. Um, you know, it helps prevent you from getting off track, but it also is the part of that kind of formula that, um, will help prevent everyday tasks from, from taking priority over your long-term goals. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. There's a cool quote from Dan Sullivan that there's no such thing as an unreasonable goal, just an unreasonable timeline. You know, (laughs) I like that. That's a good one. True, true. true. <laughs> Let's make sure the time is accurate and then, you know, it's the attack it one step at a time for sure. Yeah, I think that's really important to, to, you know, set goals, but then use criteria like this to make sure that you're spending your effort in the right direction and it's something mm-hmm. that you can hold yourself accountable to. Exactly. And, you know, everybody else is going to be looking too. Right. So when, when somebody comes to you or a client comes to you, you have to be able to prevent, pr- provide metrics and provide kind of a scorecard, which is what we do in our agency every month for clients. They want to see where they're at and how they're progressing. And mm-hmm. if you can't show that, I mean, you can tell somebody, yeah, your, your campaign's doing great. Mm-hmm. But unless you provide those concrete metrics, no one's going to believe you. Right. <clears throat> right. And that's, and I think that's where technology comes in, you know, and you mentioned HubSpot, there's infusion stuff, there's Pardot, yeah. Marketo, all these tools done right, you know, working with a partner to help you set them up if you, if you need that or execute them, then you, you can get things like ROI, you can get things like understanding how it's working and the measurables for that smart goal. 
Exactly. You know, find your cost per lead. I mean, that's yeah. super important when it comes to, um, you know, running a business and, and understanding how you're getting your value for, for what you're paying for and everything, everything's expensive. And so you have to be, be able to optimize the tools that you have. Right. Right. So I got a question for you. Who are you? How, how did you become this like Boy. thought leader <laughs> in the space and marketing wizard? You know, take us back, take us back to, you know, little you back in the day, you know, tiny Sarah, like how, how did, what, what was the progression? How did you end up, you know, getting into this field and all those kind of things? Well, um, I grew up in a rural Collar County outside of Chicago. So I was surrounded by cornfields and soybean fields. Uh, my parents were very hardworking and instilled a pretty fierce work ethic in me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was seven, I'd come home after school and I'd have a list of chores, laundry, cleaning, get dinner started because my parents were often very late coming home from work. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of that downtime. Um, my parents, when I was young, actually owned a sawmill. Wow. And so they ran it and that was their business. And so summers when I was 10 years old, I was there bagging sawdust in industrial size bags for 25 cents a bag, wow. sweat, sweating my ass off. It was, you yeah. know, probably, uh, you know, not very good for, for my lungs and whatnot. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But you know what? It, it's where I was and, and what I was taught to do is just to work hard. Yeah. I, um, you know, my parents eventually opened like a retail woodworking kind of hardware store and I would, was brought in and I learned how to work, work in the office. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where my whole perhaps uh, marketing slash administrative, you know, skills to be able to understand how business mechanisms and the backside of things worked and dealing with clients was very helpful to lay that groundwork. Right. Um, Even that work ethic too, you know, right. work hard, you know, and you probably were super grateful to be inside doing some of the office stuff, taking a break from bagging sawdust 24 seven. I know I was and um, but then like when I was in high school and on weekends, I took up a job working at the, the local bakery. And so I was up mm -hmm. at 4am on Saturdays oh, wow. and Sundays um, going into scrub pans and make deliveries and, wow. you know, delivering donuts to the local gas stations in this rickety wow. van. So it, you know, it, it, you know, work, it was a work hard kind of thing. But yeah. um, the flip side of that was I happened to be the middle of five children. Wow. Okay. And so the middle child syndrome didn't pass me over. And I've always wanted, you know, I always wanted to, to be different and always yeah. you know, strive to get attention in different ways and to prove myself amongst mm. my my siblings you know i was the only one in my family to to leave home the only wow. one the only one to well move to chicago yeah everybody else is still out in in the small town uh, wow. i went to college um for illustration because i like going home by the way they they're all kind of doing their thing and they're doing their thing crushing and the city life <laughs> <laughs> they're all very intimidated by the big city and sure. coming up to the big city and it's too, too many people and too many things happening. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I love it. It yeah. makes me feel alive and to be able to see the skyscrapers and, and see just, you know, the massive expanse of everything and everybody's buzzing about it. It makes me feel alive and it is also comforting to me to know that there's other people about. 
Um, right. You know, being isolated out in the country can be peaceful at times, but at the same time, I am a, I'm a herd animal and I need, I need, I need a group. Totally. totally. Yeah. And you were saying you, you went to school for illustration. illustration. Yes, I did. So That's I'm, cool. I've been drawing my whole life. It's my passion and my love. And I thought, wow. let's do this for a living. Well, go to school for illustration. They don't really tell you when you're in school and art school that there's not a ton of jobs out there for illustrators. I mean, there's, there's certain people that can absolutely make it and I give them all the credit, but for the type of work that I was looking to do, um, it eventually was a realiz realization to me that I didn't want someone telling me what to draw. Right. I, it was more of, I, realized that it was more of a fine art thing and less of a commercial art path for me. Sure, sure. Um, I went to work as a graphic designer out of school for an airline near O'Hare Airport. And uh, during that time, I picked up website design, became a certified website designer. And from there, I moved into a, like a marketing associate role for a credit association in which I could, I could use my my graphic talents and my website design talents within the course of marketing and putting together flyers cool. and putting together content. And so I'm trying to make all these connections between my talents and where marketing could lead me. Cause it was just right. a broader, broader path, uh, more opportunities down that road. Um, in 2003, I took a marketing manager role for a securities brokerage firm in Chicago mm. and thus launched my, um, path into the financial industry, right. which I've been in since then. Which is like apparently like a tough space or just a... It's niche. It's very niche. Okay. Yeah. And yes, it's tough um, because it is, and I'll go back to saying, you know, male-dominated industry, mm -hmm. but it's it's competitive and you have to be able to to hang and have tough skin. Right. And to keep and to keep learning and to understand uh, a little bit more of like the trading side of things and the difference between you know, an introducing broker and a registered investment advisor. You have to kind of pick up on those and learn learn those things, but um, at the same time understand how how marketing is special in financial industry because of compliance and regulation. Mm -hmm. and understanding what language you can and cannot use and what you can and cannot say. Right. Every, everything is scrutinized. Everything has to be documented. Um, so Even there's emails, right? Don't you have to like save all your emails, your marketing emails? And Yes. If, you are, if you're a firm, um, FINRA and SEC do require you to maintain copies of all client communications. Jeez. And even in the, the brokerage firm that I started out with, they had a recorder on their phone and the phone would have to record every call and there was tape backups old school tape backups from of those calls that they would keep in boxes they'd have to keep them for seven years i'm just imagining all those you know say, sales guys and gals we were talking about where they're having those real conversations with people <laughs> with all the language recorded for all time <laughs> oh gosh it's not against the law to say shit or you yeah, know yeah. anything like that but um yeah if you if you say i, I guarantee it I guarantee a return, then yes, that's, that's a problem. Ooh. Yeah. Well, back to the tapes. Back to the <laughs> you tapes. Said, you said it was guaranteed. Wow. Right. Wow. So I love how you were able to, you know, experiment. You, I mean, you found your passion early and you're like, this is 
awesome. But at the same time, you gotta, you gotta put, you know, food on the table and right. find, you know, where the market values that. And so you're able to connect that with marketing. I think marketing is cool in that way. And that whether your passion is data or analytics or creative or conversation, like there, there's typically an outlet inside of marketing for it. There is. And I still, I still create art as kind mm-hmm. of a stress reliever, oh, cool. um, you know, being in a stressful situation or a stressful job and it is stressful. I need to have that, that way to blow off some steam. Yes. And so I, I, I do still foster my love for illustration and create surrealist illustrations. And I actually have a website huh. where, where I, I'm, I'm always working on something. So the, the drawings that I do, I post to my website, which is famousafteridie.com. And the prints that I, <laughs> the, the prints that I sell, um, all proceeds I put into microloans through kiva.org because, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a job that, that does support me. I don't need to make money off my art. I'd rather try and give back and, and put forward uh, something good into the universe. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Wow. <laughs> You're really good. Thank you. This is, yeah, oh, wow. It's not for everybody, but I enjoy yeah, it. It's, you got some edge fun. to it for sure. It's <laughs> some edgy artwork there. Put it above my kids' rooms, they're going to have nightmares. Nightmares, but, yeah. But uh, I love it. <laughs> this is cool. You know, I, I see, I don't know if there's some Alice in Wonderland going on in here. A little but. bit, a little bit. Right now I'm, I'm doing a kind of a focus series on German fairy tales, and oh, those are cool. all very dark. Oh, very cool. Very dark stories. Yeah, I'm almost afraid to, you know, mention that, you know, Cheshire is the last name, so I'm a big fan of the Cheshire Cat, Cheshire you cat. know? So, yeah. But I've, I've seen some variations where it's, oh, it's a happy little cat from Disney, and it's like this, like, dark, mm. menacing cat on a tree. Sinister yeah. creature, oh, yeah. Way to go. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> really cool. You're able to then not only use your passion, but then, you know, you fl- I see some prices on here, and they're actually totally reasonable. People should check. We'll link to this in the show notes. But, but like, you, then you go, you put that toward microloans. Tell me more about that. Is that, you know, like, other countries, and you're, like, helping them out, or? Yes, absolutely. So um, microfinancing has become a thing where the organizations like Kiva will put out um, profiles of people, entrepreneurs in other countries. A lot of times they are um, in, in third world countries, people who are looking to try and develop their business or develop their farm or you know start a business or continue to purchase goods for uh, sustaining their business in which they would then therefore sustain their family. Right. Uh, the microloans, you know, starts at 25 bucks wow. a piece. And so you can go in and make a portion of a loan to somebody who their, the total of their loan would be, let's say $200. So you and several other people are contributing to this person's loan. And then they, of course, over time pay it back and they pay it back through Kiva. And so there's organization, there's organization there um, and there's validation there that it's a legitimate um, need. And so I have been happy to, um, to put my money towards these things. And when they do pay it back, it goes back into my own account, but I just reinvest it into other people. And I tend to really focus more on uh, empowering women who are yeah. in entrepreneurial positions, like mm-hmm. far in different countries, uh, people who are trying to, who need a cow, yeah, who need to try and purchase a dairy cow. So the whole category on here, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, there's a whole category for yeah. uh, for women. So that has been kind of my pet um, 
my pet organization that I have been putting my my talents to try and put them to work for this. Yeah. Do you, do you know with stories? Do you get to hear background or you just, you just know that you've helped that particular effort? Um, the profiles have the stories behind the people of what it is that they're looking to get these micro loans for and what they're looking to accomplish and why. And it gives a little bit of background about people's families and uh, their struggles. Um, and so you do know a little bit about the person when when choosing, you can go through kind of a portfolio of, of different people seeking loans and from there pick who you would like to support in different media, in different sectors like agriculture and arts and education. Wow. Um, and I tend to, um, for some reason, I'm, I tend to gravitate towards the agricultural part. Interesting. This is really cool. Uh, do you know Carlos uh, Hidalgo? That name have, sounds familiar. Yeah, he's a, that name sounds very familiar. It's a thought leader. Um, man, he was with that big. Jeez, uh, what was his? Well, he got he got out of the game and um, and just now does consulting. But one of his passions is uh, to go with his wife uh, to Uganda, and they have this organization that just helps women out in in Uganda, mm. and, it, and it builds them up, it gets them businesses, gets them education, because that ends up being like that glue for the community. Right. And it makes so much sense. And it even, like I even noticed when I was in Iraq, the difference between, you know, things working out well and not was, you know, where the, the place of women in society, you know, and so not to get all political and whatnot, but I just noticed that that was so important. So when Carlos mentioned that, um, he, he almost got me to go to Uganda. I'm still interested, Carlos. <laughs> you got to schedule it. But um, but yeah, it's so it's so powerful. So I love that these micro loans is just a tiny, you know, it's a tiny thing for us. Like you said, twenty five dollars, and then you end up making these huge huge differences. I'm looking at people, you know, buy it buys fertilizer for corn. Exactly, corn. exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, women are fifty percent of the population, so. You know, while I'm I'm on this side of of the line saying how difficult it is being a a woman in a male dominated industry and trying to to you know establish my role, there's women on the other side of the world who've got it much harder than me, and so right. and I recognize that I understand my privilege and my place of privilege, and so this is what I can this is the least I can do. Yeah, with my, with my talents is to to try and lift them up a little bit and to try 100%. and provide more opportunity for people who are in, um, in other places that, that don't have the opportunities I do. Yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, it, I was just reading here, like, you know, and got a loan $400 to help buy another, like a very quality dairy cow. Like, awesome. You know, yep. Building something, building businesses. And that's yep. awesome to see that. And so, the majority of those loans, they pay them back. I saw that. It you was know? like 98 point something percent. Yeah, 96.8% repayment. Of course, like these are good people. They, you know. Absolutely. Them. But they're doing something with it. It's not just like, you know, some people might say it's a hand. It's not. They're like, they're actively building a business. We know what it's like. We've all got help when we were first starting out, whether mm -hmm. it was a mentor or like a really awesome customer who's just like, I know things are you're a little weak, little, not as polished as it could be, but I trust you. You know, we're going to stay with you and, and grow with you. That kind of Yeah, thing. exactly. Exactly. So last question I have for you, because there's just so many things I've been learning here. You know, is that, that marketing career you've, You've, you're CMO, you've been in marketing, you know, you've got that seat at the table. You know, if you were to give advice to 
to little Sarah, who we talked about earlier on, on career or how to better navigate or faster navigate, or just maybe just do what you did, but what would you tell her? What kind of career advice, you know, for, for her, but also other marketers out there and other, you know, female marketers for sure out there, what kind of advice would you give them? Absolutely. So if I had to give advice to my younger self yeah. starting out in, in, you know, the financial industry and marketing roles and, and the best advice I would be able to, to give would be a, a few things. So number one would be recognize that you are in business and you are not here to make friends. Mm. And that at the end of the day, this, this is a business, you know, don't try and spend your time trying to, to make friends or, you know, become friends with everybody or worrying about, um, you know, what other peers think, you know, you have to really understand that the difference between, you know, your work and your life outside of work, where you, where you would have those other friendships. Mm. Um, the other piece of advice, <clears throat> and I, I say this to my staff all the time, is to speak up. Mm. You know, you can't be afraid to ask for things. You'll never get what you don't ask for. And that takes, that does take a, a measure of, of courage and of boldness and discomfort sometimes because sometimes it can be really uncomfortable to ask for things. It's so important that you do. Life is short. You have to, you have to go for it. And then I guess the last piece of advice isn't really just to my younger self. It's to, it is to all, it is to all young women. Mm. And a um, little bit of a story. Yeah. I once read that Catholic nuns tend to walk down the sides of hallways because if they walk down the center of the hallway, they find that that is putting themselves in the center of the space and they, f that is vain. Huh. And so they walk down the sides of hallways almost in a submissive manner, almost apologetically for their existence. And so that has always stuck with me and, you know, being, um, being an ex-Catholic that also has a, a place in my mind. So I want to say to all the younger people, all the younger women out there in, who are coming up, walk down the center of the hallway. I love it. Have the confidence and be you unapologetically. It doesn't matter. You know, you have to walk down the center of the hallway and be present and be counted. And don't be sorry about it. Love that. Be yeah. present. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry about it. So good. So good. Uh, you know, thank you for coming <laughs> here and, and teaching me. Could you maybe throw out some places where people can connect with you? And uh, you know, for sure, you know, um, maybe just even mention, you know, what, you know, your agency does. Because uh, I know you mentioned HubSpot or some of these other things. But how can we connect with you? How, you know, how can you help? Absolutely. Yeah. Just, um, I'll just give a quick intro of what my agency is. Yeah. Um, Gay 39 Media is a financial uh, marketing and technology agency. We primarily service the financial industry um, with websites and designs and logos and ongoing marketing and advanced technology um, that would include things like backend portals and, and mobile apps. Right. Um, so our client 
space consists of, um, you know, ranging from introducing brokers and hedge funds to exchanges and asset managers, um, a whole kind of gamut. We do deviate a little bit and have some manufacturing clients, but for the most part, uh, we provide concierge type marketing services. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have clients who come in for one and done projects. They just need a website and they're out the door. Other people have been with us for years and we do ongoing campaigns and marketing measurement for them. We also do CRM optimization services and in consulting. And so um, we are located in downtown Chicago. It's beautiful. And I also write for the blog on our website and put out marketing thought pieces now and then. Um, the website What's the URL for that? The, well, the website is gate39media.com. Okay. And our blog is right at the top, and it's called Engine 39. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I was just talking earlier about, you know, if you're going to have a blog, you got to brand it. Make yeah. It I, I can't. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's that, a lot of fun. Engine thirty nine sounds like something we need to subscribe to. Uh, how about yourself? LinkedIn, Twitter. What's the best way to connect with you? Yep, um, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look for Sarah McNabb, and like you said, I do build myself as the uh, marketing Swiss Army knife. Yes. So my cover photo is full of Swiss Army knife images. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can be found on Twitter at Sarah McNabb twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. And um, if anyone wants to email me directly, it's just Sarah at gate39media.com. And that's Sarah with an H. I love that. Nothing like putting your email address out on a podcast. That, that sounds like walking down the center of the hallway to me. That's center of the hallway. Totally. Totally. Well, thank you so much again for coming on here. I've learned so much. Thanks so much for having me on, Casey. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, if you learned something, and I know you did because I've literally got (laughs) solid pages of notes over here, then share this with someone. Get this information into their hands, especially if you work with um, women in marketing and you want to just get, get them this information. They need to hear this. Um, and walk down the center of the hallway. So definitely get this in their hands and share this around. Um, but for, for everyone else out there, you know, thanks for joining us, and we will see you all next time. Bye.